Welcome to the Data Center Frontier Show, where we tell the story of the data center industry and its future. Our show is hosted by Rich Miller, the editor of Data Center Frontier. Today's podcast is brought to you by Compass Data Centers. Now here's Rich with today's show. Today, our guest is Chris Crosby, the CEO and founder of Compass Data Centers, uh, which is one of the uh, large and, and growing data center providers uh, and uh, covers pretty much the whole gamut of, uh, of business types in the data center industry. So, Chris, welcome and thank you for being here with us. Thanks so much, Rich. Great to see you as always. So, for folks who may not already know all about Compass, what's a, a quick overview that you can provide? Tell us, uh, tell folks a little bit about what uh, Compass is all about and what you guys do. Sure. So the, the easiest way to describe us is we're a pure play wholesale provider from, from the core to the edge. We do we have a variety of product lines that go from, from edge type data centers all the way up to very large hyperscale type data centers. Uh, we're a private player and we stay a little bit behind the scenes, as, as you well know, Rich, uh, as a result of that and enjoy the uh, enjoy a little bit of obscurity for our client base. So your website says we build for what's next. Uh, what's next? You have a really interesting vantage point on the industry because you guys kind of do everything from the edge. You've got some form factors for uh, for service provider and enterprise uh, data centers, and uh, then you build for the big guys as well. You know, it's interesting. So building building for what's next, I guess, is a little play on the compass uh, point in the direction of things. But uh, you know, we we try to stay ahead of and try to be a tip of the spear for our client base, really trying to solve the problems that are difficult for them. Um, you know, as, as far as getting ahead of the game, whether it be from a land development perspective uh, in terms of siting or, or how you can, um, you know, we, we we're one of the pioneers with waterless cooling as a, for example, from the inception, some, some of the modular things we've been doing since inception. So just trying to stay a little bit ahead of things, really employing uh that that utility version of 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 the data center environment and, and trying to stay and investing our R and D and time and effort in those in those elements and the sustainability elements around those. I was looking at your data center footprint, and in the Dallas area, for example, I've I've been to your campus uh, up in Allen, where you've got form factors of, of several megawatts, and then uh, you have another Dallas campus that's at two hundred and fifty megawatts. Is the this larger uh, campus size the shape of things to come? What's your take on where that part of the industry is headed, and why you guys are are focused on building such large campuses? You know, I think it's both, Rich. You know, we still we use the same kit of parts whether we're building an enterprise style, you know, megawatt type data center or a couple megawatt type data center. That same kit of parts can get utilized up to a 36 meg data center and, and, and into a campus type of play, even, even down to the precast elements that we use, um, which we really kind of Lego piece them together uh, for a couple different product types. So is it the future? Well, you know, I think the future is, is really trying to hit the right size for the right market. So, you know, there are certain markets, I don't know that Milwaukee is going to need a 250 megawatt campus. And, and so, you know, you want to right size for the right types of product offerings uh, for your client base. Do you see growth at all of those levels right now? Or 
there's obviously a lot of uh, discussion of, of hyperscale and a lot of, I don't know if it, it's hyper buzz or whatever, but there's a lot of discussion of edge computing as well. And, and you play in all of those places. How do you assess the, the kind of, uh, you know, customer growth in, in each segment? It's different based upon the client type, right? So, you know, for a very large cloud provider, an edge data center may be a sizable enterprise data center. Um, uh, so, you, you know, you, you've got to relate. You've got to relate between things. Obviously, on the pure edge data center, that's a lot more talk than it is reality as of today. Um, but the, um, you know, we really look at where is the right place for the capacity. What's the right uh, product type for that and not trying to overbuild and, and trying to really right size it uh, for the client base. So if I gave you a different type of client, it, the definition of edge might change. If I gave you, you know, what they're using the products for and it, you know, it, it does match, uh, you know, a lot of our client base have different product offerings that they're offering their clients. And so you want to, you want to try to size them up properly. Well, in terms of uh, geography is one of the things we, we kind of look at. There's uh, been sort of an, Interesting activity and, and spectrum uh, uh, across the uh, the markets. Uh, what kind of trends do you see, and where people are building, and why? You know, obviously, there's there's your core, you know your core markets like a like a Northern Virginia, which is its own own unique beast, right? Where there's a lot of different cloud SaaS uh, type of groups, as well as just even enterprise uh, in that type of market. You know the Dallas's, the Phoenixes, the you know there, there's markets Chicago and the like. You know they're they're competitive markets. Um, you know they match where the networks are. They match where you you can be doing overflow capacity uh, for folks. You can be doing core nodes for folks. Um, you know I think there's a uh, there's a wide variety of things. And one of the fun parts is to introduce different types of commercial structures and creative structures to really give clients more control and 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 some things that maybe maybe the competition has a harder time doing from our perspective. And, and so we're, we're trying to really focus around um, those types of needs, which kind of put us in a horse of a different color because we don't do, you know, multi-tenant per se. Uh, we're really doing single, single client controlled facilities for the most part. And, and, you know, we're able to, to uh, give some, some extra levels of customization as a result of that. You've had a long career in the industry building for you know, different companies, different types of products, particularly with Compass. It strikes me that you've always been very intentional and thoughtful about the kind of facilities that you're building. What, what do you hear from customers that are guiding the way that you're thinking about how Compass is building uh, its data centers? Yeah, it's fun for us because a lot of the things that, that, you know, our core to us are also core to our clients. So holistic sustainability, the way that we use the land, the way that we use the product, the waste that we have when we build, you know, how do we build? What's the safety look like? All, you know, things that we've been working on generations of um, are really important now to the, to the, to the client base. And, um, you know, not that they weren't important before, but they're much more front and center nowadays. Um, you know, we talked about waterless. We've talked about how you, how you go about, um, operating these facilities we've been very intentional in terms of long-term type of facilities and, and you know try to build something once that you can refresh over time from a green perspective and so there's there's a lot of those components i think the fun part has been um you know creating the right building blocks or having the right building blocks that allow there to be levels of customization um, to where you can serve multiple needs on the same 
you know, using the same components. And, and that's a, uh, that's kind of been our holy grail focus of trying to, trying to serve that and, and do the best that, that you can do within that environment. And through that repetition, you get robustness and you get quality and you get, you know, all those things that other manufacturing industries get. So one of the initiatives that Compass has uh, uh, it's, uh, commenced recently is working with a company called Carbon Cure uh, that has a, a, a green, a particularly interesting green story. Could you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about Carbon Cure and why they're interesting and why Compass is excited about working with them? Absolutely. So Carbon Cure is really, really cool initiative. It's, it's led from our R&D department that's headed up by Nancy Novak who's our chief innovation officer. And it takes the cement component and it reduces down the total amount of cement as well as uh, takes and ingests carbon carbon dioxide and, and embodies it into the concrete. So you use less cement and you take CO2 out of the atmosphere. So you get a double whammy. You, you use less of the thing, cement, which, is, which does produce CO2. But you know we love concrete as a building tool better than steel. It lasts longer. I mean, Alexandria's foundations are still on the ocean. You know, this is a this is a material. If you do it well, it's it's one of the greenest in terms of longevity. And to take that that portion that was was producing a lot of CO two and really, um, you know, reduce that down has been an awesome initiative. We're really happy about that, and we're happy to see our peers, you know, adapting it as well uh, into into their build process. Yeah, I saw that some of the larger players in the industry are now starting to take a look and and, and being involved in that initiative. So you mentioned uh, Nancy Novak and and the sort of R and D uh, piece of of the story. Uh, that's something that not every data center company does. And in fact, probably only a handful are really actively involved in there. Obviously, some of the the large hyperscalers who are among your customers. What's the value uh, for Compass? of thinking about R&D and having a department where, you know, you have folks with propeller beanies, I guess, trying to figure all this out? I mean, growing up in tech, if you're not innovating, you're dying. So, you know, if you can't get better and, and continuous improvement is one of our pillars of our core convictions. And so how do we get better? And so you have to willfully invest in those things. And we've, we've had all kinds of neat initiatives, whether it's that or things that we're doing on submittals or, you know, we, we worked closely with a group called ProLift to create, you know, storage areas around the country. It's innovation comes in a lot of shapes and forms. It comes in process. It comes in product. It comes in, uh, you know, a lot of different ways that we do things. So for us, it's, it's core to the business and it's core to our continued success. If, if we're not investing in it, we are dying. And, and ProLift I know is, has uh, some of the things that, uh, that they do, uh, address sort of speed to market issues. That seems to be something that's front of mind for most of the customers. And at the same time, we're in the middle of a pandemic, which tends to stress supply chains, creates challenges on managing construction sites. What's your experience been in, in terms of trying to continue building out data centers, both large and small, uh, in the midst of the pandemic? It's obviously difficult. Um, but in difficulty, you create, you know, new, new ideas and new, new ways of doing things. Um, I think it's whether or not you're embracing it as, as issues and you're trying to solve for it, or you just kind of living with what you've got. Uh, you know, we're, we're very deep with our supply chain in terms of what are the components. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time on supply chain at the breakdown level, not just at the, 
at the actual end product level, making sure that we stay ahead of the game uh, from a supply chain. We really try to get to a tightly integrated supply chain from that perspective. You know, but the, there's very real challenges. And the interesting thing about what the pandemic has done is the things that were not so obvious are the difficult things. Uh, you know, wait a second, glass is going to take this long to get, you know, to a site. Um, so you've got to think differently. You got to think outside the box on it. And, and uh, you're constantly adjusting. I think the nimbleness really matters because the state and you know, weighty organization. I think we, we can get advantage by being able to shift quickly. 2020, it seems, you know, from all of the data we see about the industry was a year where because of the data center industry was suddenly, you know, even more mission critical than, than ever before, uh, there was a lot of demand that, that appeared suddenly, partly because, you know, uh, everybody was working from home, remote learning, uh, by most reports there was up to you know 30 to 35 percent increase in in network traffic it seems like by and large the data center industry did a pretty good job of keeping pace with uh the demand for for more capacity what does 2021 look like in that uh respect do you have uh any take yet on uh how what happened in 2020 bears on 2021 uh, in, in any fashion you know i I think at least from the indications that we're getting, um, you know, we're still to, to use the classic American baseball analogy. We're still early innings and, you know, there's, there's a lot of growth to, to be had. There's a lot of competition for our client base to go out and get customers and, um, you know, performance matters. And I think a lot of companies that went through the pandemic figured out that their performance wasn't going to work or when they couldn't get their data center text to their enterprise data centers or, uh, you know, as we had here in Texas here recently, uh, you know, some of those enterprises didn't have national fuel contracts. They weren't at the level of caliber that, that they needed to be from an operational perspective. And those are tough lessons to, to learn, you know, as, as service providers, right? We've been through those learnings. Um, uh, not saying that we're smarter than anybody else. We've just been through it all more times. And, and uh, I think as we look at it from, from our perspective, it's just, it, it is a continued it is a continued growth. Um, how much more is there? I, I, I can't. I can't tell you. Um, but when we look at what got pulled ahead in 2020, I think was just demand pulling forward. I think not new, not necessarily new demand because you can't really, you know, you're not creating new products and things. I think those new products blossoming and those new, you know, those new transformations of enterprises and governments and things along those lines are just now happening. And, and I think there's going to be another burgeoning wave. Um, one of the interesting questions that I think that's, that's out there, we all know that the, the cloud is growing, uh, you know, uh, over the top uh, entertainment providers and media streamers uh, have seen a lot of growth, but there's been a lot of questions about the enterprise and exactly where those companies are at. They have the same sort of requirements, so, you know, at least if anecdotally, we certainly hear that, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, enterprises had sort of life and death experiences uh, uh, through the, the early phases of the pandemic. But not all of them went ahead and changed what they were doing uh, with the IT infrastructure, if you listen to some of the research houses. Right. Might have been because you know, they were being very careful with cash during a period of tremendous uncertainty about the business in general. 
One of the theses that's put out now is that these enterprises who have you know, held on to on-premises data centers just but for competitive reasons, uh, we'll be starting to think about how they be more nimble and whether that involves uh, cloud and colo as a much larger component of, of what they do. I mean, this is kind of the story that that has been playing out for a long time is how do those on-premises customers find their way into a purpose-built uh, you know, service provider or wholesale data centers. What's your take on on where the enterprises are at with what they're doing and how that shows up for service providers like Compass and, and other players in the industry? Sure. So great question. You know, I, I think the challenge with a lot of the analyst houses is that they use the word or too much. Um, the word and is a much more powerful word uh, when it comes to IT. How many times in IT have we said, well, that's going to go away and then this is going to be the new thing. You know, this is going to be the new thing. It's that or right. Um, I mean, there's cases of that IT versus ATM, but for the most part, it's an and for the most part, right? We're going to do this and that. Um, you know, I think I think the interesting thing, Rich, to think about here is is maybe the spectrum's not as is is blurrier than what than what we're looking at. It's not just am I going to cloud or colo or my own? And you take a provider like us that doesn't even announce and nobody knows that it's the enterprise. You know, it looks and feels like the enterprise's data center. So is it? Is that an owned facility or is that an outsourced facility? You know, so I think the lines are blurrier than this. Um, hybrids, you know, very real. I, I think that I think it's just a blurred line, and there's a lot of and there. Um, and the one thing to remember too is that the state of the application growth um, and and what's serving the enterprises, the enterprises that are transforming, you know, are, are growing, and and the ones that are stagnant, you know, that's fine, but they're older industry, and and you know, they don't need a whole lot. Well, that's not where this growth is going to come from. Speaking of the subject of, of where growth comes from, while you, you guys uh, have maybe a, a Chris Crosby and Compass quietly blurring the lines behind the scenes, you've been pretty public about uh, some of the expansions that you've done, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in Canada, which is, mm-hmm. has become an interesting market for a lot of service providers this year. You know, hinted at other uh, other international businesses as well. Um, what has that process been like for the company and, and uh, what are the opportunities that you think make the most sense now in looking you know, beyond the U.S.? It's been a lot of fun. Um, AJ Byers leads our international efforts um, and you know, the opportunities there for, for us to take the same concepts uh, that, we've, that we've been doing in the world of 60 hertz and put it in the world of 50 hertz, um, those same concepts apply. And so, you know, we do look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, we, we have uh, started construction in EMEA. Uh, we haven't exactly said where yet. Um, you know, we're continuing to grow in Canada. We're continuing, you know, we're gonna continue to, 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 uh, to grow throughout those environments. And, you know, you, you nailed it on the head. We're, we're customer centric. So we're, we're very aligned with our customers as opposed to saying necessarily, here's the market uh, per se. And so, you go where the, you go and serve with your customers, basically. And in terms of uh, where the customers are looking, there does seem to be a lot of interest right now in large footprint uh, projects in Europe, and an expectation that that Asia Pacific uh, is a, a huge growth area. But that also seems to be a tricky place for some folks to build for a variety of reasons. You know, how do you kind of assess? 
oh, what the, the world looks like if you're a, a company that, that's thinking about expanding? What are the opportunities and challenges there? Look, Asia is its own, its own thing. It's the only place in the world where a, a day trip is an eight-hour overnight flight, right? So, um, you know, that, that's its own thing. I've done that in a previous life. Right now, we're focused in EMEA and then the Americas. Uh, is where our primary focus is. And my uh, good friend, guys like Robin Kuda and the Air Trunk team are killing it over there. And, and God bless them, they can do their 16-hour flights back and forth at this point. So one of the things that, that I, I've been watching closely and I think uh, has been an interesting part of the story over the past couple of years is something that's near and dear to you, the, the evolution of the network, which has always uh, been a key part in not just where folks build, but what kind of campuses they create and, and how they all uh, tie together. That seems to, for, for some folks, to be a value differentiator within the, the service provider space as well. W what's your take uh, as you know, a network guy from, from uh, back in the day for uh, where the network's at and, and what, the, the, uh, what the key sort of uh, decision and uh, points are for, for folks uh, in, in terms of you know, how they tie everything together and, and the decisions that uh, and where that leads them. For us, the network is one of those pieces we really try to enable the client, give them a pipe, but get out of their way. We, we are very much focused on home runs and letting our clients control their network. You know, the network right now going through all the 400 gig upgrades and, uh, you know, w what's happening there. I think our best service to our clients is to... <laughs> is honestly to, to not get in their way uh, for, for the types of uh, things that we do. So, you know, we'll, we'll bring, you know, three to four providers to a site. We'll, we'll, get, we'll do all of that legwork on the land development side. And then, you know, we really want, just want to be an enabler. I think when you look at the network side of things, though, you've got to be focused on where the long haul routes are, where they intersect, where you've got to be cognizant of, of how the network gets architected. And if you put you know, you go and you make land decisions around spurs versus, you know, uh, interchanges, you know, you're going it, to, it can create some difficulties from, from time to time. But the amount of fiber, the amount of uh, growth on the network side, uh, you know, it's going to continue to grow. Metro fiber is, is definitely there. The edge play is really a lot of network arbitrage right now. I still think the network leads the way when it comes to the data side. One of the reasons I asked that is because in, in terms of, uh, Compass certainly has an interesting history uh, with uh, site selection in that you guys were were pretty early in a couple of places that suddenly uh, seem to be bustling hubs of, of data center ac activity. What's what's the, the key to that? How did you wind up first in places like, you know, in Ohio or, or uh, you know, Goodyear, Arizona? Suddenly uh, Compass uh, uh, goes there, quietly goes there, and then all of a sudden it's a crowded neighborhood. Is that is that all based on those kind of uh, uh, insights into where the, the the network leads you, or is it a combination of things? Well, one, thanks for noticing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I look at that stuff. Right? I mean, our 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 team on that, you know, and one of my co-founders, Chris Curtis. I mean, you know, we've 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 got the right alignment between the technology side and the land development side, and and you know, and that's given us a little bit of an advantage over folks. Uh, and you know we'll try to continue to 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 take advantage of that. But I think the big thing is you got to have uh, two ears and one mouth and use them in proportion. You got to listen a lot. And uh, as long as you do that, you'll probably be okay. 
Uh, obviously, one of the things of uh, listening to your customers is that it's uh, pretty sensitive to the opportunities that they have in the markets that are the biggest. Northern Virginia, I, I try to, you can't help talking about Northern Virginia in just about every conversation because of the size of the market. Uh, you guys, last I checked, uh, Compass was under construction on a, on a campus. Looks like there's a building up. But what can you tell us about, about that market and where it's at and how you guys have thought about approaching Northern Virginia, given both the level of activity and the level of competition? So Northern Virginia, similar to some of the other markets that you mentioned, where we're just a little a little ahead of things. Um, you know, we, we went a little bit further north than the Core Ashburn Corridor. By design, uh, get on a different high voltage lines, get into a different, uh, you know, a little bit different topology up there and different environment up there. So, you know, it's a, uh, a the, the great thing about what you, what you said in terms of being a little bit ahead of the game is that you're a little bit ahead of the game. The bad thing about being a little ahead of the game is you're always a little ahead of the game. Right. Uh, so, no, we're, we're underway there. It's, it's, a, it's a great spot. We love Loudoun County. I think for us, just being able to not, um, not be forced into that multi-tenant model uh, has been important to us and really giving our clients a campus style approach has been important for our all. One of the things I'm always curious about is the availability zone thinking for lack of a, a better word. Is that, is that guiding how we see uh, you know, markets develop in, in terms of uh, the way campuses are deployed? Sometimes you have sub-markets within you know, major markets. I can certainly think of a couple of them. What's the, the role of, uh, you know, the availability zone, sort of failure zone uh, thinking and how that, that guides development? Yeah, it still boils down to network um, and, and how far away from different hubs and what the topologies are and what the uh, latency limitations are for different uh, software stacks. And, and, you know, it just it does still boil down to the network. And so if you've got parent sites or you have children, they can only be so far from the from the parent. and you know, that those are the limiting factors. And, and uh, you know, that's why you see the concentrations like you see them. You've seen a lot of uh, development efforts over the years, a lot of business models. Uh, right now is a time where there's a ton of investment in the data center industry. There's a lot of uh, uh, financial players and investors that would very much like to, to play on a, on a larger scale, create platforms. What's your sense of the in, in investment landscape? How has that uh, you know helped the industry? And is, is there more to come in terms of uh, the money continuing to come in and, and create new opportunities? Yeah, it's a good question. First off, there's some great companies in our space. Just one run by really you know great management teams, and 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 so it's it's a highly competitive space. Just period. Right. Um, you know, we think we've got a few things we do different versus better, but, you know, let's just say competition is very good and, and very strong. Um, the capitals lined up for a lot of those companies uh, in terms of who, who the investor bases are, whether they're public or private or whatever the like may be. I think there is a lot of money that wants to come into the space. There are limited opportunities for that. And, you know, that creates great opportunities for private companies like us, um, you know, I'm sure it creates, is creating great opportunities for like some of the JVs and things that you see for some of the public guys. I, I think that lower infrastructure focused capital is a, is a huge benefit for the space. 
Um, I think infrastructure investors are trying to look at things over the long run, getting away from the quarter, getting away from the, you know, when's my couple year exit and really looking at, I mean, how do you make a sustainable solution for a 50 year data center when you're looking to exit in two years? Um, you know, I, I think you, I think the longer view is very good for the industry. I think it's going to drive the good behavior and I think it's better for, for, for our client base. Now, a few years ago, you guys found up, lined up some capital partners. Uh, how has that relationship changed what Compass has been able to do? Uh, it's been transformational for us, uh, you know, in terms of starting the business. <laughs> Obviously, as an asset-based business, we're always going to need capital. And uh, having the right capital partners is, is, is critical. And, and as the market has matured, it, I think what's interesting about the data center space is it went from, let's say, the you know, the, the early days of digital realty were, were get looked at like we were cross-eyed when we were going public to um, it becoming an anomaly of a real estate class, part of office, maybe part of industrial, to becoming its own real estate class, to very quickly becoming infrastructure. And that that shift happened so rapidly. Uh, it's really, really fascinating to, to see and, you know, I think beneficial for the industry as a whole. So as we uh, we're, we're early in 2021 here, uh, is there anything on the horizon that that you think is interesting that that uh, uh, hasn't gotten a lot of attention? Uh, what what's your take on on what the uh, the interesting story uh, in the, the data center will be over the uh, the next year or so? I think there's a couple interesting things. I think one is one is the continued evolution of the network, you know, and and, and people getting more and more control over their experience for the client base and how they go about doing that. Um, that that's one that's interesting to me. The other one that's interesting to me is is the nature of just-in-time capacity because, you know, when our client bases are answering RFPs and, you know, then there's need for there to be capacity and just-in-time for their clients. So it's it's this interesting two-step relationship. And I think that's going to continue to to emerge. And, you know, I think there'll probably be opportunity for some strategic partnerships and things along those lines, um, you know, as a result of that. So I, I think that the, the, Hey, you know, I built out some space and I put a, put a for sale sign out in front is still going to be a, a robust market if you pick the right markets. But I do think that the transformational buying is going to be, it, it's going to morph along the lines of manufacturing, you know, in, in terms of how do, how do I get it more integrated and how do I, you know, how do I create less friction? Well, Chris, I always appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us and, and share your thoughts and experience on uh, the data center industry. Please keep us posted on, on Compass and, and what you guys have in the pipeline. Even if you're trying very hard to fly under the radar every now and again, uh, please uh, pop up and let us know what's going on. Thanks so much, Rich. Always enjoy it. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks for listening to the Data Center Frontier Show. You can find the show notes for this episode at datacenterfrontier.com slash podcast, including links to all the resources Rich mentioned on our show. Today's podcast was brought to you by Compass Data Centers. To learn more about how Compass has the market presence and capacity and enables you to grow on your schedule, visit compassdatacenters.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Data Center Frontier Show wherever you find quality podcasts. If you enjoyed this show, 
Please tell your friends and share about it on your social channels. You can always find us on the web at datacenterfrontier.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 